Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. In this segment, we'll rake the political coals once again of politics past in 2018 and politics future. What's ahead? Joining me in studio are our political stalwarts, Joe Manis, Jason Rosenbaum, and political editor Fred Ehrlich. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. What's so funny, Joe? Being known as a stalwart. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> well, why, why not? You're a short-timer stalwart. How about that? Yeah, well, anyway, so. thanks for being with us. Happy New Year. And, you know, where do we start? There's some, so much going on, but I, I would have to think that if we're looking back, the story that we'd all have to point to would be the Grayton's case. First six months of the year, pretty much that's all anybody was talking about. You, you agree with me or disagree? Well, Joe seems to think it was the number two story per, yeah, per year. Yeah, because, think about it. Okay, after he resigned on June 1st, okay, we are talking about this a few weeks ago. Does anybody even remember, like, what he did or anything? I mean, aside from the salacious basement stuff. I mean, as far as his tenure, it's kind of like he just disappeared. And I think that the um, McCaskill-Hawley contest does have national implications, the fact that Hawley won um, in the U.S. Senate race, the fact that Senator Claire McCaskill, now former Senator Claire McCaskill, is retiring and doing something else. As of today. Yeah, as of today. So, And Holly was sworn in today. So um, it, he helps increase the Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. And that's going to have ramifications all over the place, not just in Missouri. And it also means that Missouri will have two Republican senators. It's been a while since we've had both of our Senate seats have been occupied by Republicans. And I, I personally think that in the big picture, that contest um, and and the fallout from it, how Holly performs, what McCaskill does next, will probably have a bigger impact on Missouri and the country than the Greitens uh, tenure. I mean, it just seems like it was like a... I, I mean, it just it's almost like it was like a car accident or something that everybody was watching, but now all the damage has been cleared away and... Uh, no one seems traffic to even remember. Continues. Yeah, traffic yeah. continues. I, I vehemently disagree with Joe. <laughs> I think that not only was the Greitens story the number one story of 2018, you can make a solid argument it is the biggest political story of the 2010s. Now you can make an argument that the aftermath of Michael Brown's shooting death was a political story, but I, I typically count that more of a non-political story, even though it had political overtones. A, a national story. I, I have that as like a, a St. Louis life story and a people story rather than a politics story. I Maybe I'm just biased because sometimes I forget the federal government exists. It's not even <laughs> running right now. But state government plays a pretty sizable role in a lot of people's lives. And who's at the top and who's in the governorship really does matter because there are pretty significant differences both in substance and in style between Greitens and Parson. Obviously, the slow motion car crash that Joe mentioned was pretty much unprecedented in Missouri history. And I, I think we're going to have ram reverberations from Greitens' re resignation for years to come. We've already seen some of that with the appointment of three different statewide office holders. Some of that had more to do with Holly winning than, than Greitens leaving. Aha! Uh -huh. But So there you go. But I... I I not only think it was the biggest story of the year, 
it might be one of the biggest stories in recent Missouri political history. Fred, as political editor, how do you keep these two apart? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, you know, they they're, they're, they both have good points, actually. And I'm going to side with, with Jason on this one. I think right this was the top story. Of the <laughs> He's year. But, grinning. <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, but I don't disagree with some of what Joe's saying, yeah. absolutely. Uh, first of all, as far as Greitens goes, I mean, there are so many people in the state who didn't even know the name of the governor before this whole scandal broke, if you ask them. It's an office that, you know, has tr- has often been a low-profile office, which is kind of a funny thing to say when you talk mm-hmm. about the governor of the whole state, but that's how people are. And the focus and the attention that it put on the office and that it has continued to put on the office, like Jason said, as far as, you know, appointing three state office, uh, statewide office holders, I think, I think has changed uh, among voters, among the residents of Missouri, their perception of the office. Well, let's talk for just a moment, as long as we're staying with Greitens and uh, J- uh, Joe is outnumbered. Uh, <laughs> how tough was that story to cover? I mean, there were so many elements that were beyond reach for r- reporters. Well, it was, I, I've been doing this for a long time, Don, you know, 30 years or so, and that was the craziest story, that is the craziest story I've covered in my career. Um, and that includes, a, you know, a lot of interesting, complicated stories. And it was the st- and one of the reasons was, almost every day there was a new twist and turn in it. And the way that the the way that it unfolded, including the court hearings, was things that I've never seen before. You know, the 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 way that the the prosecution handled the case or mishandled the case, as some people think, the way the prosecution's handling it was then attacked, the way the defense attacked mm-hmm. the um, victim in this case. It just is, is things I've never seen before. Well, I think that um, some of the stuff, like I was there in May after the session, sitting in on all those hearings where they were reading the testimony live, and some of it just made your stomach turn, uh, that they were asking um, the woman in question, in uh, some of these questions. I mean, she was an unwilling participant in this whole spectacle. Um, as a reporter, it was kind of difficult because you do, many of us knew who she was, you know, and so you're reaching out to her and then eventually through her lawyer, and you're trying to actually respect, I mean, the fact that she's not the, she didn't come forward and say any of this. I mean, this came out through her ex-husband, uh, talk about, you know, basically revenge and all this other stuff. And so this was a, an official fight uh, that got personal and that also dealt with personal behavior. And I think that a lot of lawmakers were clearly uncomfortable dealing with some of this. And But like I've said a gazillion times over the last six, seven months, this all boiled down to the fact the Greitens had no friends in Jefferson City because he came in pledging to clear the swamp and this and that, made no allies, uh, was uh, nasty to fellow Republicans as well as Democrats, made no friends. If you look at his achievements, the main one was getting right to work passed early on, and then labor got it overturned in August. So in some ways, it's almost like uh, he brought in some people, many of whom are now gone. So other than uh, putting a lot of focus on campaign fundraising, uh, which is a whole side topic, um, I'm not sure how much of an impact he will have, other than the spectacle, will have an impact on state government. But I think he personally, and here he was touted by some people as a potential presidential hopeful, 
Um, it ended up being a disaster. I mean, I don't care what party he's from. It was a disaster. Yeah. And and I think that part of it is because he didn't know how to work with other people. I, I don't know. I was actually reading back of some of the, the clips, um, some of the broader analytical stories that I wrote it from the start to the beginning. And I was just really sad. I was sad that the state had to go through this entire ordeal. Um, I... I was it was interesting because both for both Joe and I and also Rachel Littman, it, it there was a lot of pressure and there was also um, probably more national exposure to our reporting than usual. But I didn't really take a lot of joy in reporting kind of the demise and how people viewed the Missouri governorship. I, I hold the Missouri governorship as a political reporter and as a former state government reporter in very high regard, even if I disagree with the person. And I felt like the four or five months that ran up to eventually Governor Parson really diminished the governorship in many respects, not only because of Greitens' alleged behavior, some of which was frankly shocking, but also the fact that we had a governor who wasn't answering any questions from any reporters on anything, which was un- which was absolutely unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had to because he didn't want to like say something that would be played in court. but. I'm not going to look back at at covering that experience and think, wow, I got to cover this amazing story. I'm going to probably still be pretty down about it because I don't think it was a good five months for Missouri. And regardless of what you think about Governor Parson, from a political standpoint or from an issue standpoint, one thing I don't think can really be denied is he definitely has shifted the tone back to some sort of normalcy. Well, and he's more transparent, even in his money raising. Yeah. Yeah. And Fred, we would expect that uh, Governor Parson and the legislature will certainly get along a lot better <clears throat> than was the case during the the short Greitens term. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt. It's 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 already been night and day before the session has even started. The the this is a governor who's been touring the state. Uh, you know, pushing his v- agenda, various things. You know, he's he's pushing workforce development and and uh, improving the roads and bridges. And uh, you know, he's he's conciliatory. He said, you know, he knows he's been a- at this long enough. And uh, I'd really think that he's going to work well with this legislature. Is he going to undo Amendment One? He can't un- undo <laughs> Amendment One, and I think that that's been really misinterpreted by people. M- Amendment One is Clean Missouri, which is the new state legislative redistricting system. Since it is a constitutional amendment, the only way to change it is to have another vote of the people. And while I do think it makes sense that Parsons' opposition to Amendment 1 and his support to undo it is is newsworthy, I think people seem to think he can just magically make it go away. That's not true. What's going to likely happen is legislators from both political parties are going to put something else on the ballot in 2020 to either completely erase the new redistricting system or just completely alter it. I think people should be paying attention to their legislators a lot more than the governor on that issue. Joe, you sign on to that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that um, the General Assembly may try to come up with something. Um, I think one of the counter, one of the side things I think they are going to push on, they're going to try to make it more difficult uh, to distribute initiative petitions on anything and to get signatures. But I want to say the General Assembly has talked about doing that for about 20 years because Missouri has one of the more liberal uh, systems of people going out, getting a, deciding they want to do whatever, getting enough signatures, getting something on the ballot. And 
I, they are talking about trying to change it. I think there will be a serious effort to change it. But again, voters will have to prove yeah, that. So, I, so I think you're going to see hear a lot about this. Yeah. This this may be the biggest issue this year. But I'm yeah. not sure if it ends up you, you making could, any you, changes. You could have another thing going up for vote, and the voters rejecting it, and then we'll go through the new re- state legislative redistricting mm-hmm. process in 2021, where a demographer will draw. House and Senate districts based off specific criteria. So we'll see. But it's going to be an uphill battle to undo it just because it would require another statewide vote. And also because other states, I mean, they did it differently, but mm-hmm. there's several other states where there also is new efforts to try to change how districts are drawn up. But not Illinois. <laughs> Illinois apparently is off limits, but continue, Don. I'm going to take a break. Let's do that now. We'll continue our political conversation in just a moment with Joe Mattis, Jason Rosenbaum, uh, Rosenbaum and Fred Ehrlich. Back in a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back as we continue our political discussion with Fred Ehrlich, Jason Rosenbaum, and uh, Joe Manis. Fred, I'll start with you. Uh, Were you surprised that Claire McCaskill lost the election to Josh Hawley? I wasn't surprised that she lost. I was surprised by the margin. I thought it would be a lot closer. I mean, it wasn't that, there wasn't that big a difference. It was five points. Is that what it ended up as? A little over five. A little little over five. Uh, I thought we'd be counting ballots well into the night. And uh, we knew pretty much that it it was over uh, fairly early, obviously. Uh, I I think, you know, we we were talking about what the biggest story of the year was before. And uh, I agree with Jason that it was Greitens. But but I also agree with Joe that McCaskill was second and uh, very significant in terms of what it means for Missouri. You Why know? don't we just call it a tie? <laughs> I'm not calling it a tie, Don. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to my grave. But, but you guys can disagree. Uh, he's in a feisty mood today. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. It's but okay. I, I just think, I mean, you know, Hawley <laughs> campaigned on one thing, really. It's, it's, it came down to you elect Josh Hawley, you're you're casting a vote for Donald Trump and his policies. And the state went for that. The state is so red right now, and I don't see it changing in the near future. Parts of it, but that's but that's another story. And the, that story is that uh, on the east side of the state and the west side of the state, they're Democratic, voting well, Democratic. Well, and in rural Missouri, it is real red, especially if you look at southeast Missouri. Southeast Missouri actually is redder than southwest Missouri, which— around Springfield, which had always traditionally yeah. been the big uh, Republican territory. And so there's no question that rural Missouri right now is ruling. But um, things could gradually change. You could just see, like I said, in the 2nd Congressional District, which Ann Wagner's district, which she won, but narrowly. And there were some trends there. Um, it reflected more the national trends of the suburbs going to Democrats. Now, this is... Uh, something that's more long-term. And right now, I think the Democrats in Missouri are hurting pretty bad because even though they got so many people out in the urban and the near suburbs, it wasn't enough. But it's 
I mean, the politics are changing in, in Missouri. And right now, overall, you could say Missouri's red, but I think really it's more that Missouri is divided. And right now, the red wing is more powerful than the blue wing. Yeah, when I was off and actually taking my kid to Monkey Joe's in Crestwood, I was watching on my phone about how Claire McCaskill and now Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez were kind of going back and forth about um, some comments McCaskill made to CNN. Bright and shiny things. She I, said she didn't understand the bright and, and shiny thing. I, I, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but there was kind of all this this chain of comments like, well, if McCaskill had, you know, expressed a more left of center viewpoint, then she wouldn't have lost. But when you look at the numbers, her performance in places like St. Louis City and St. Louis County as well as some of the African-American townships in St. Louis County, were much higher than 2006 when she beat Jim Talent. And she won St. Louis County by almost like, what, 116,000 votes? Yes, and and in fact, even in, uh, I don't want to, because I'm working on something, but um, even in the second district, which was, uh, you know, which Wagner carried, Joe, you can tease that story. It's okay. So did McCaskill. So did McCaskill. (laughs) I mean, she carried it. McCaskill got more votes in that district than Court Court Van Osteren, who, frankly, was was probably the shiny thing. If I'm putting quotes around it in Missouri Democratic politics. Here's my point. She, her margin in the rural parts of the state, and also some of the the more conservative suburbs like St. Charles, Jefferson County, Cass County, and Buchanan County, which is maybe not a suburb, were so massively bad that she could have gotten a hundred thousand more votes in St. Louis and Kansas City and would have lost. So I'm not trying to say that maybe rural Missouri is completely um, completely non-receptive to uh, Ocasio-Cortez brand of politics, but it's hard for me to see that type of result and think that a, a more leftward candidate would have done any better given how Gaga, rural Missouri is for Trump. You know, and I, I think it's just a numbers thing. It, it, the numbers kind of speak for itself. But I, but I agree with Joe. I don't see this as necessarily permanent. Um, the the performance from Republicans in St. Louis County was so bad that if some of their margins in rural Missouri start to go down because the president becomes less popular, I could see an opening for Democrats to win again. But if it remains the way it is, I don't see a Democrat winning any statewide offices in 2020 like in this current environment. And I'd like to also add that Nicole Galloway, who was a strong candidate against a very weak candidate, barely beat her Republican opponent. That's a point yeah, Joe yeah. has made many times. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, because that's, that's, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, Galloway had all the money, all the Democratic endorsements. But one thing I do want to mention in St. Charles County, St. Charles County, McCaskill got more Democratic votes than she got in the city of St. Louis. That just shows how the mm-hmm. votes are moving. Yeah. It's just that there were also a lot of Republican votes there. Yeah. Okay. She uh, still lost St. Charles by a pretty significant Oh, yeah. Margin. Yeah. But my point is the uh, center of gravity for politics is shifting. Yeah. Let me just – I don't want to digress, but I heard this the other day from someone. And it was I found it fairly interesting concerning McCaskill that she might have been pretty lucky in her two wins. Number one, she ran in 2006 uh, when the anti-George W. Bush wave was in full swing. Yeah, a strong anti-Iraq war. And, yeah. yeah, right. And then in uh, – 12, it was the Aiken thing, yeah. which just turned that around. Well, I haven't really subs- – I've definitely heard that, Don, but I I think it also requires a candidate to have some skill to maneuver through that type of advantage. As we just 
mentioned, like mm-hmm. there, there's examples of people that have a really good environment, but don't raise the money and aren't aren't good candidates to take advantage of it. I mean, if a with all due respect to Sandra McDowell, who came on our podcast and talked with us for a while, was very open answering this questions. The, the auditor candidate. She raised le- she raised yeah. less money than the person that won the 16th Ward Alderman seat in 2017. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can win a statewide office. And she almost won. She only lost by 5%. But my point is, like, if there had been a candidate who had more money and better organization, less negatives, Nicole Galloway would have lost. But so my point is you've got to take advantage of the environment that you have. Everybody talks about money, but uh, McCaskill outraised Hawley, what, four to one, three four, to one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost four to one. McCaskill <laughs> raised an unheard of sum in Missouri, just million? under $40 million. Yeah. That's never been done even close by any other candidate <laughs> for any office, not even – Eric Greitens, although we don't even know where all his money came from. But the point is that she set a huge record, but it, it didn't It did it in the end. It, she still couldn't win. I mean, in theory, you could say that uh, if she – and she ran really an aggressive campaign. Both sides agree with that. I've had many – a lot of Republicans say that she really – they were really impressed with her work ethic, even though they knew they were going to beat her. And But it was just fascinating to see somebody work that hard, raise that money, did – Technically, most of the right things. You can always quibble over things. Yeah. But it wouldn't have. It was the Trump factor. Yeah. He yes. came, he came yes. here six times, yeah. including on election eve. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything she could have done to have changed the outcome, in my opinion. No. I mean, maybe one thing could have gotten her maybe another point or something. But no, she still would have lost. Yeah. Let, let's move on to something uh, something else, and that is the uh, – the uh, the situation in St. Louis County oh, yeah. with uh, Bob McCullough being defeated, and surprisingly so, by Wesley Bell. Uh, thoughts on that, Fred? That's a pretty big story locally, no question. Absolutely. I mean, that was definitely um, in my top five as well for the for the whole year. Um, you know, I th- I think the 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 view of the people just wanted something new. And they certainly have gotten that in Wesley Bell. They, they wanted a change after all the years that, that McCullough is in office. And, you know, we'll see how it goes now. Yeah, I think it signaled the emergence of a new political coalition in St. Louis County uh, where uh, the largely African-American North St. Louis County is joining with the Central Corridor, which is more integrated but is largely white, to elect candidates that are not part of the status quo anymore. And for an African-American candidate like Wesley Bell to piece that together, I think is historic. And I think it should really give pause to even people like people who won, like Steve Stanger, who are really not part of that entire coalition. Yeah, I think that, um, and I've mentioned this on our podcast, um, uh, I think if McCullough had decided to retire instead of run for re-election, um, I think then that would have set up where you had a lot more candidates getting in. Then I don't know if Bell would have happened. Um that said, I think uh, the man deserves a lot of credit. I think he ran a very smart campaign, really smart, um, has had some very high-level backers. Uh, you know, Mike Wolf, the former SLU head, who also, you know, was a state Supreme Court mm-hmm. justice who's been helping him with the transition. Um, he, Bell, went out and campaigned, like, with Mac- McCaskill. He tried to make sure he had forged alliances I think he showed a lot of uh, political expertise, and so the issue is going to be: Can he translate that into running a, an office? I mean, there was some high-profile firings yesterday, 
Sometimes that happens, but usually they're not quite so high profile, so you're not sure if it's because there's just so much attention on the office or if maybe things could have been a little more smoother. But I think all eyes are going to be on him to see how he performs because the um, prosecuting attorney in St. Louis County is the, I mean, that's the largest jurisdiction in the state. So everyone's going to be watching. There's a lot on the line for him and his allies. And how he does. What do you make of what uh, he's been doing with his uh, with his staff, Jason? I'm not surprised, but I was also expecting that if he did something like he did yesterday, it was going to run into conflict because the assistant prosecutors have unionized with the St. Louis Police Officers Association, which happens to be the entity that's also quarreled with Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner over a multitude of issues. He also announced a bunch of policy changes. I know one dealing with... Um, non-payment of child support. Garden. Not prosecuting people. Yeah, yeah. That could except be. for like, I, I guess, willful uh, non-payment. Yeah. I, I know that created some controversy, but I also prompted discussion about whether it was wise to, pe- to put men or women who aren't paying child support in jail who are behind and then not being able to have a way for them to, to make money to pay child support. I think there was a really good conversation that started both pro and con there. So that could be one of the ways, as Joe mentioned, that Bell could really start to drive conversations about policy. Um, you know, it's also been brought up, up as an example of the post-Ferguson political uh, forces kind of having a win. I would also argue mm-hmm. that Lisa Clancy winning the county councilwoman seat was also part of that because she's emphasized the Ferguson Commission report as uh, a guidepost for how she wants to, to go in office. And we'll just have to see how both of them perform. We uh, have a couple of other things we can talk about as time begins to get away. I think we should mention a uh, big change in the leadership in Illinois as well. I mean, uh, no real surprise there, Fred. I suppose that uh, Bruce Rauner lost that election after what he's been through with his budget over the years. Absolutely. It, it's, it's just been a, been a mess uh, for so long. I mean, just the fact that they couldn't even pass a budget for so long. I mean, it's almost unheard of. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what Pritzker can do. Uh, he certainly he's coming in with a mandate. Um, one of the interesting things that that he is talking about, and uh, this will affect Missouri residents too, is uh, the legalization of pot. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, are are people from Missouri going to going to drive across the river to to get high? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I was just going to say that I think it's a nev- I think that's definitely going to happen. There's enough Democrats in Illinois legislature to do that, and Illinois is so broke that they need as much money as possible to prevent them from becoming so devalued that Missouri can buy Illinois for $50. So, you know, legalizing pot may help that. I don't well, know. you mean for recreational use. They, yeah, already, right. they already allow it for medicinal use. And, of course, Missouri's um, uh, program, which I wrote about today, um, is going to take a while to, to a put while. into place. But Missouri's, ironically, is actually Missouri's medicinal program, once it's totally in, in operation, will actually be a bit more generous, quote, liberal, than the Illinois program, unless Illinois uh, votes to allow recreational use. We're going to be talking, I should advise people, we're going to be talking more with Jason and Joe tomorrow on this program with regard to what's going on in St. Louis County. We mentioned Stenger, and uh, we'll talk in more detail about what's what's happening there. But I was interested in getting your, your thoughts, and I'll start with you, Joe, on who are the political comers 
in Missouri, do you think? In the year ahead, who will you be looking at? Maybe who's not quite on the radar or a smaller blip uh, than will be the case down the road? Well, I mean, Bell, obviously, I think, I mean, he he, he could be a force for some time and some of the people with him. Uh, Bruce Franks, who's a state rep who may run for state senator. Uh, state Senator Jamila Nasheed, I think people overlook her. She's running for... Um, uh, aldermanic president in the city of St. Louis. She's challenging incumbent Lewis Reed. I mean, there's other other candidates in there, but I always have thought that Nasheed is sometimes overlooked as as far as her political acumen. Um, there's a, a Jill Shoup, who's the state senator in um, suburban St. Louis, who many people have thought could be a candidate for office in 2020 statewide. Uh, I mean, I'm just talking Democrats here just because we live in yeah. Democratic territory. And the Republicans, there's a whole crowd of them. There's yeah. a whole crowd of uh, strong Republicans, especially in the collar counties, who may very well be looking at running for uh, statewide office in 2020. And just the shift. I mean, now you've got um, Eric Schmidt, who had been the state treasurer, who now is going to be the attorney general. Many people think that Schmidt's going to end up running for governor sooner or later. So there's that kind of stuff to Let watch me get for. Jason and Fred, we only have 30 or 40 seconds. Sorry. Oh, oh, man. Uh, future state treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick, he is 31. He's younger than me. I feel my mortality coming every day now. <laughs> I'm also very interested to see how state senator Carla May performs. She will be my state senator, but she also won a landmark victory by winning a largely white district and, and not having a lot of money. So I'm going to be watching to see how she performs. Got a couple of seconds. Fred. My pick is Court Van Ostrin. Uh, he ran a great campaign in a, in a race that he probably couldn't really win against Wagner. He's young, he's uh, dynamic, and he's a comer. All right. Well, Fred Ehrlich, thank you for being with us. And for that, Jason Rosenbaum, thank you. And Joe? Joe Manis, we'll see you two tomorrow once All again right. on this program. Thank you so much. That's it for today. This is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.